Book One, Chapter Two of A Class Book of Old Testament History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Class Book of Old Testament History by George Frederick McClear. Book One, Chapter Two. The Fall, Genesis Three, B.C. Four Thousand and Four. Of the life of the first human pair in paradise we are told but little. We know, however, that it was not only a state of innocence and therefore of happiness, but also, like all human life since, of probation. Besides the charge to dress and keep the fair enclosure in which they had been placed, our first parents received but one additional command. It was couched in negative terms, and forbade in the most distinct and solemn manner possible the eating of the fruit of a mysterious tree growing in the midst of the garden, and called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Of the fruit of every other tree they might eat freely. Of the fruit of this tree the Almighty said to them, Ye shall not eat, for in the day ye eat thereof ye shall surely die. In this single prohibition lay the test of their loyal obedience to their Creator. On it depended their innocence, and their happiness temporal and eternal. How long they were faithful and obedient we are not told, but whether the period was long or short, certain it is that it came to a close. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil implies that evil was already present in God's world, and therefore in part prepares us for the dark shadow that now gathers round the sacred page. The creation of man had been watched by a supernatural being of infinite subtlety and malignity, the enemy of God and of all goodness respecting this mysterious being though the sacred narrative does not gratify our curiosity with any lengthened details yet to his existence and his unceasing hostility to man it bears direct and explicit testimony the name under which the supernatural tempter appears in the earliest and latest portions of the bible is the same compare genesis three one with two corinthians eleven three revelation twelve nine and twenty two and though but seldom mentioned in the old testament job one and two first chronicles twenty one one zechariah three one and two the same attributes are uniformly ascribed to him created originally good like all the works of god he abode not in the truth john eight forty four but rebelled against his maker and fell from his high estate first timothy three six and henceforth at the head of numerous other spirits matthew fifteen forty one whom he had dragged down with him in his fall two peter two four and jude six he arrayed himself in conscious hostility to the supreme this being then here called the serpent in other places satan i e the enemy and the devil i e the slanderer approached the woman as being the weaker vessel for the purpose of seducing her and so her husband from their allegiance to their creator with affected solicitude he began by inquiring yea hath god said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden to this the woman replied by repeating the divine prohibition respecting the fruit of one particular tree Thereupon the tempter proceeded to declare that the penalty of death would not follow the eating of this fruit, nay, that the Almighty knew that in the day they ate thereof, her eyes and those of her husband would be open, and they would become as gods. 
knowing good and evil a more subtle scheme for shaking her allegiance to the almighty and her confidence in his goodness and his love could not have been devised a prohibition hitherto regarded as a solemn but merciful warning was now invested with an arbitrary character and a selfish motive in mere envy so the tempter affirmed the almighty had denounced an impossible penalty what she had been taught to observe as the condition of innocence and happiness was nothing more than the expedient of one who grudged his creatures their rightful advancement lest they should approach too nearly to himself the idea of an envious god of a hard task master was thus instilled into the mind of eve sapping the foundations of all real faith and trust and rendering the more irresistible the temptation to disobey the command of him who had thus enviously set these bounds to her free will in an evil hour she believed the tempter's words and seeing that the tree was good for food that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree to be desired to make one wise she took of the fruit and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat thus the fell counsels of the tempter were accomplished through want of faith in god's word through a longing for independence through a vain desire to become gods unto themselves our first parents were beguiled into sin and when their eyes were open instead of greater happiness they now experienced the strange and hitherto unknown consciousness of shame and degradation and unmeetness for god's presence genesis three one through seven brief in summary as is the information here given us respecting the enigma of enigmas the origin of evil it is yet of unspeakable importance for it teaches us that sin is not a part of man's nature but the fault and corruption of it that it did not spring from his nature but by an inevitable necessity but in consequence of his yielding to the seductions of a powerful and malignant foe he did not like his tempter choose sin for its own sake but was beguiled into it hence though he became liable to all the penal consequences of his disobedience though his being was poisoned with sin yet it was not converted into sin he did not lose all remembrance of his former state of purity and innocence the shame which overwhelmed him and made him hide himself from the presence of god testified to his consciousness of transgression and in this sense of guilt lay the possibility of his restoration for now the sacred narrative while it refuses to gratify our curiosity respecting a subject which doubtless passes our understanding proceeds to do what is for us of far greater practical importance namely to place the inroad of sin in immediate connection with the divine counsels of redemption we learn that god in infinite mercy now intervened between his creatures and their tempter for them indeed it remained to taste the bitter fruits of their disobedience and mistrust eve was informed that sorrow and pain must henceforth be the condition of her existence in sorrow should she bring forth children her desire should be to her husband and he should rule over her genesis three sixteen adam learnt that with himself henceforth nature too must undergo a change thorns and thistles must grow upon the face of the earth toil must be the price of his existence and his end the silence of the grave for dust he was and unto dust he must return even thus however justice was tempered with sweet mercy and love mingled blessings with the bitterness of man's cup 
if pain and multiplied sorrow was to be woman's lot yet through pain she was to know a mysterious joy and her anguish should be no more remembered when she knew that a man was born into the world and if grievous toil and irksome labor were to be the conditions of man's existence yet in the provision of these effectual antidotes to idleness and many other sins was truest mercy but these gracious purposes extended only to man they temper not the judgment denounced on his seducer utterly cursed was he above all cattle and above every beast of the field the very creature over whom he had seemed to triumph should prove his ultimate conqueror i will put enmity said the almighty to the tempter between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel in these words we trace the first distinct promise of man's ultimate redemption the state of degradation into which he had suffered himself to be seduced was not to last forever in conformity with the divine equity the deceiver was to be judged by the deceived the conqueror was to be overcome by the conquered man not give himself up to despair there was still room for hope in infinite mercy the almighty had espoused his cause and he would himself provide a remedy for his fall we need not venture on any profitless speculations touching the precise amount of hope the early generations of the human family were likely to have derived from this first gospel this first promise of a saviour in terms it was undoubtedly indefinite neither the time nor the method nor the precise mediating cause of man's deliverance was made known it was not revealed whether the promised seed should be one or many the collective race or a single deliverer on these points greater light was to be shed as time rolled on and many things were to be revealed which now man could not comprehend but of the final victory and of its certainty direct and explicit assurance was given since religion cannot so much as exist without hope the earliest intimation of prophecy was adapted to the support of that essential feeling in the heart of man it was clearly a promise of relief an antidote to perfect despair it contained the prediction that some one should be born of the seed of the woman who should bruise the head of the tempter by whom therefore the penal effects of man's transgression should be in some way reversed with all its uncertainty as to the mode in which this end should be effected the promise had within it a principle of hope and encouragement and the materials of a religious trust fitted to keep man still looking to his maker in the encouraging assurance thus given to adam in this first promise of a saviour sacred history finds its definite starting point and the old testament becomes a true introduction to the new because it reveals the several steps whereby the divine wisdom provided for its fulfillment from first to last sacred history is instinct with life and hope it ever points onward to the future its keynote is ever preparation for the coming of him who is to be the true seed of the woman in whom the father counseled before the world to gather together in one all things both which are on heaven and which are on earth ephesians one ten and philippians two nine and ten end of book one chapter two